Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, what I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. So let me kind of remind you what we're doing here. We have been going through this series through both letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and we've entitled our series uh, Peace in the Coming Storm. And the reality is, is that I thought this would be an appropriate letters for us to look at because to talk about a church that was really going through it, they had uncertainty, they were facing persecution, they really didn't know what was happening and they were concerned about the future and especially concerned about the second coming. I thought this would be the ideal letter for us to look at in light of everything that's going on around us and especially in light of a lot of things that are being said today in the Christian church with regards to the second coming of Christ. So we've made our way through 1 Thessalonians. We're now into 2 Thessalonians, which basically is a follow-up letter to the first letter where Paul gives a little bit more instruction to them uh, concerning some questions that they had, concerning some things that they were really, let's, I'll be honest with you, freaked out about. Because someone had come along and told them that they were in the midst of it, that Jesus had come and they had missed out. And they were, quote, left behind. And so he wants to address some of that false teaching that is going on in their lives. And, and folks, I'll be honest with you, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. We are in the midst of some social upheaval in our country right now. And because we're in the midst of an upheaval, you'll hear a lot of crazy things out there with regards to the coming of Jesus that we're in the midst of it. I've heard we're in the tribulation. Have you heard that one? We're in the tribulation? No, we're not. We're not. How do you know that, George? Well, I'll show you some things here in a moment. We already looked at some things already. But I want you to remember what Jesus said when he described all the events, the rumors of wars, the economic collapses, and, and turbulence, disease, and so forth. Remember what he said? These are just the birth pangs. These are the beginning of sorrows. What are, what are birth pangs? Well, we have a technical term for that. Well, it's pre-labor. These are the pre-labor pains. This is not it. In fact, he just told us that in verses 1 to 5, because he talked about, if you look at verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering together with him. That's talking about the coming and the rapture. He says two things have to take place before that. And last week we looked and saw that the two things that have to take place first is the great falling away or apostasy, that is people turning away from the faith. And we talked about that for a moment. What, did they lose their salvation? No. They were a part of us, but they weren't of us, is what John says in his epistle. First John. And then the second thing is the revelation of the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, or the son of hell. That's where he's destined for. 
You say, well, I thought he doesn't show up until after the rapture. No, no, no. That's what some guy wrote in a book, but we want to see what the scripture says. And the scripture says that before these events, what is the second coming and the gathering, which is the rapture, he's going to be revealed. So he's going to expand upon that today with us. And I think that you and I need to very be very much aware of what he's talking about here. Because you and I can pick up our newspaper, if you read a newspaper, or click on our device or computer to some news site and read some report or watch something on TV or listen to something on some talking head on the news. And, and I'll be honest with you, the news these days, all of it is inflammatory to your emotions. Would everybody agree with that? I mean, it just stirs you up one way or the other, okay? Now, when that's taking place, you can get really worked up. Oh, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? What's my life going to be like? Well, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. What Paul's wanting you to understand, because he's got folks that he's dealing with here, the Thessalonians, who are dealing with the same thing, although it's 2,000 years ago, He's wanting them to understand that everything is moving to a point. See, that's what we forget as Christians when that should be the first thing that comes in our mind. When you and I look at what's happening in our nation or what's happening in the world, whether it is the news of wars and famines and locusts, which, yeah, that's happening right now. So what you see then is that when you look at all of that, all of it's moving to a point. And that helps you to understand what's going on. And really, to be honest with you, that should help you not to get freaked out. Because let me just say this. I ended with this last week. I'll say it this week before we look at three things here from our passage. Let me read our passage here in a moment. But let me just say this to you. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid. If you spend some time thinking about that, that might reveal something about your own heart. Because if you know Jesus, do you need to be afraid? No. No, you're ultimately going to go be with him, right? In fact, as I read Revelation, it talks about you're going to come back with him when he conquers. So the question is, why are you afraid? Because if you understand that, if you have no fear because your life is in Jesus' hands, you then look at everything else that's happening and you recognize that it's moving to a point. And so he's going to give us some clarity about that right now. So let's look together. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. Here's what Paul writes. And you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception, among those who perish, 
because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take these verses and we're really going to divide it into three sections. We're going to talk about, first of all, this restrainer. What does he mean by that? Like, oh, yeah, I know, George, this is what so-and-so said. And I think you're going to miss a point if you focus on who it is versus what he's doing, the restrainer. Then we're going to talk about the lawless one. We've already said he's got to be introduced first to move into that time before the, of the rapture and the second coming. But he's going to talk about the lawless one, which is the Antichrist, a little bit further. And then he kind of closes out this section with something you don't really expect, but it's really where it focuses on the deceived, the people who are deceived. And so when you see the things that are happening around you and you see the way people are acting and you see where people are at, you understand that we're moving to a point. So let's take it first. Let's look at the restrainer. Again, verse 6 and 7. Here's what it says. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. All right, so i got a couple of points I want to make here, but let me just go ahead and tell you this. So, Obviously, the Apostle Paul, when he started this church and when he was teaching them, he told them who the restrainer was. We don't know who the restrainer was that he's referring to here. No other scripture talks about this. This is the only passage, but obviously Paul, because of his interaction with Jesus, and we know that he interacted with Jesus on several occasions, knew that there was a restrainer. So let me just kind of throw it out to you what have been some of the speculations of who the restrainer is through church history. There are different theological views concerning who the restrainer is. Obviously, the first one is the Holy Spirit, that he restrains evil. And the concept is, is that he is taken away because he leaves with the church. Well, uh, that kind of has some holes in it. If you want to believe that, that's okay. The other one is, is that it's the church. The church is the one who restrains evil in our world. Eh, that's a stretch, too, because you and I both know the church isn't everywhere in the world, right? Hasn't been everywhere in the world. There are places where the church is a minority of people who really have no power and no influence. That's not what is restraining evil. But if you want to believe that, that's okay. All right? Uh, another concept, I kind of lean to it more, is that it's some type of angel. How do you know that? Well, we see in the book of Revelation that there are different angels who are given different tasks with regards to, this, to the end times, and they do certain things. So like, for instance, you'll see in Revelation, there's an angel, four angels that are to restrain the winds, all movement of air as judgment. So whatever the issue is, who it is, really doesn't matter. What I want you to see is what this one does and who is ultimately the one who is telling them to do it. So this is my first point. Currently, the Lord is restraining evil. 
Now, he does that through different means. We know from Romans that one of the means that he uses to restrain evil is government. He can do it through other means as well. But the point is, is that God is the one who is restraining through whatever means he's chosen who this restrainer is. He is restraining evil. And so right now, the lawless one is not revealed completely simply because God is restraining evil. That's the point he wants you to see. Evil is at work around us. I think we know that, right? You can't go through life without recognizing that there's something afoot. That's why we have people who are into conspiracy theories, right? The reality is, is that there is actually a conspiracy going on. He refers to it here, the mystery of lawlessness. Brings me to my second point. Lawlessness is already at work behind the scenes. Why? Because I want you to understand Everything is moving to a point. Everything in history is moving towards a climax. What's the climax? Jesus Christ coming back. Now, before that coming, there has to be something else that takes place. What's that? The lawless one comes. And so everything is moving to that. And when you talk about the man of sin the man of perdition who is to be in hell forever, that's evil. And so evil is at work around us, and something is restraining that evil right now from God. But at some point, he tells us God's going to take away that restraint. And now this is all before the tribulation, folks. Just prior to it. So that helps you to understand, right? So what we see here is that the restrainer, verse 6 and 7. So look at verse 8 and 9. He says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan and all power, signs, and lying wonders. All right, so first thing I want you to see is, is when the restrainer, whatever it is or whoever it is, is removed, when God removes him, the Antichrist will be revealed. When in the midst of chaos, the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, I think it's interesting from history. When you go to 1 John, 1 John talks a lot about Antichrist. He'll refer to the Antichrist, but he also says that there are Antichrists. Antichrist-type people who already exist in his time, they exist in our time. But when you think about history and some of the Antichrists who have arisen in the past, not the Antichrist, but Antichrist-like people who have risen in the past, a lot of times they come out of chaos. So what we see here is, is that he's saying this, that when the restrainer is removed from the world, when God removes him, the lawless one will be revealed. And so he wants to make a couple of points here. I want you to see the couple of points that he's making here. All right? A couple of points he wants us to remember right off the bat so that you don't get freaked out. Because remember, he's telling you, don't get freaked out in verse 2. Remember? Don't, verse 2 of chapter 2. Don't get worked up. Here's why. He tells you that the Antichrist will ultimately be destroyed by the Lord. So as he's telling you about this guy... And as he's telling you about how he works, and as he's telling you about the reality that he's going to 
appear. He's telling the people of God, just remember, he's toast, he's history, he will be destroyed. Why does he do that? Why does he take the time to just pause for a moment and just make sure that you and I understand what this guy's outcome is? I can tell you why. Because he knows we're nervous. And it's an assurance that everything's going to be okay. Even though it'll get crazy and even though this guy will run rampant, he will ultimately be destroyed. That's reality here. So then he goes on from that pause and he says, the Antichrist will come with the power of Satan. Look at what he says here. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is in according with the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders. So he's going to come in the power of Satan. Now just so you understand, Satan is not God. He can do some things because he's an angelic being. But notice what it says, lying wonders. He uses deception to deceive people. And the reality is, is that when this guy comes, he will be supported by the ultimate enemy of God, Satan, who really isn't an enemy. Because remember, we also know what Satan's end will be, right? So this is the Antichrist, the lawless one. So, okay, so let's stop. So we understand that everything is moving to a point. We understand that before the gathering, as he says in verse 1, the gathering of the saints and the coming of Christ, I want you to understand, he says that two things got to take place, the falling away, people leaving the, the people of God, the church, for whatever reason, but then they were never part of us, is what John says, and the revelation of the lawless one. And to help you understand the revelation of the lawless one, he tells you here in this passage, it's because the one who restrains evil is removed, and so lawlessness will come to the forefront. In the midst of the lawlessness comes what? The revelation of this evil one. We're all moving there. So now he's going to tell you the key ingredient. Does everybody understand, you can tell me you're a leader, but that really means nothing if you have no one following you. Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm a leader. Who are you leading? Nobody. What kind of a leader am I then? Same thing with the Antichrist. The Antichrist can only assume power, can only assume the authority that he has. He can only assume this status of world leader because people let him do that. So that's where he now focuses on this last group, which I think will help us to understand what's going on in our world right now. Look at what he says in verses 10 through 12. And with unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, here's what I want you to see about the deceived. First thing, the Antichrist will appeal to those who do not love truth. 
The Antichrist is going to appeal to those who do not love truth. Okay, so he's going to appeal to those who are anti-Christian. Is that what you're saying, George? Uh, well, that would be a pretty simplistic way of saying it, but that's not what it's saying here. Because you could be a Christian and not love truth. You can go to church and not love truth. How can you say that, George? Because there's a falling away that's going to take place. And with that falling away, they were never, as John says, never part of us anyhow. Because they didn't love the truth. What's the truth? Jesus. Like, for instance, how can you say that, George? Well, let's go back to first century Israel. Go back to the time of Jesus. Would you say that if you were to talk to a typical Pharisee at that time, that they would say to you that they loved the Torah? That they adhered to the Torah? That they loved Yahweh, God, and the temple, and they did all that was required of them to be a good Jew? Yeah, we would say that. However, what did Jesus expose about them? He exposed the reality of their hearts. That even though they did all those things and said all those things and knew all those things, they were in reality what? Dead. No life. They were lost. So hear me. When this one comes, the very first thing is, is that he's going to appeal to those who do not love truth. And they may be called Christians, or they may be called atheists. But because they don't truly love truth, he appeals to them. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The Lord will give them over to a lie. We see that in verse 11. He talks about that the Lord, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. What is that? He gives them over. That's a term we often see in Romans about when people want something so much that they got to have it, to heap it on their own desires. He gives them over to that desire. He gives them over to what they want. And so people, they don't love truth. So guess what? He gives them over to what? A lie. A lie. And so when you think about Nazi Germany, the lie that they embraced was the Fuhrer, the leader, is what Fuhrer means in German. The leader is the epitome of truth. And what he wants for us is what's best. And so we'll follow him. That was a lie, wasn't it? Well, we know it is now a lie from history, right? See, this, this is the reality. The Lord will give them over. See, why is this happening? Because everything, let's be honest, let's get back to what we're talking about here. Everything is moving to a point, folks. Jesus is coming. 
He says one more thing here. He wants you to see about these folks. And this is what I need you to understand. They will be condemned because of their rejection of truth. They'll be condemned. Because they rejected truth. What truth, George? The truth of Jesus. When you go over to to uh, Revelation chapter 20. I think it's the last few verses there. I think it starts with verse 14. It talks about the great white throne judgment and all of all of humanity or the dead will be raised up from hell will deliver up its dead. The sea will deliver up its dead. Everyone great and small will appear before the great white throne judgment. The day of terror that Paul refers to in his epistle. You're going to see that all the books will be opened. Basically, the records of their lives. But there's one book that will determine their destiny. The book of life. And if their names are not written there, then they will be cast into the lake of fire. Judgment. This is what he's talking about. When you and I reject the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who he is. We seal our condemnation. That's reality. What do we do with this? Well, the whole purpose of this series is to encourage you. Let me read to you what verse 2 says. Let me go back to verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, the apostle is asking you, here's what he says, not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if it from us as though the day of Christ had come. Here's what I want you to see, first part. Not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble. Don't freak out. Tomorrow, who knows what the news will hold. Don't freak out. Because everything's moving to what, folks? At least that's what the people of God should be aware of, right? Everything's moving to what? Jesus is coming. So here's my final point for you to digest. Understanding the scriptures will guard your heart in the confusion. You want to know what's going to guard your heart? Is reading one book. This one. Read it. Read this book. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, will come along and he what? Will guide us into truth. This is what gives you understanding. Because you know his word. Not what somebody said about his word, but you know what his word says. And as the time draws closer... You'll understand. 
Because like Paul is showing us here, everything's moving to a point. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.